Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's constantly at work in our mess. I'm Jen Jewell, the host of this Conversation Style podcast, which is partnered with Life Church Sisters and typically airs a brand new episode every other week. But as you know, it's summer, and summer means a change of pace and a little more go with the flow. So whether you're currently working from home or the office, whether you're hanging out at the pool or a snow cone stand or road tripping with your people or simply trying to keep your crew fed and entertained and alive on these long summer days, wherever you find yourself, I hope you're able to lean into what the Message Bible calls those unforced rhythms of grace, that rest Jesus offers us even today, no matter your schedule, your status, or your specific situation. What summer means for us here at The Messy Table is just like last year, we'll be taking an intentional pause, not because we have to, but because we want to create space for what matters most. So there will be no new episodes airing in July and part of August. However, that means it's the perfect time to catch up on those episodes you might have missed. Because let's be honest, life gets busy and it's hard to keep up with even the things we love. So lean into that grace this summer, lean into what truly matters, and we can't wait to meet you back here in August. But before we sign off for the rest of the summer, buckle up and get ready for a tremendously valuable perspective. My friend and co-host Cindy Beal, who shared her powerful story back on episode 11, is back with me today, and we are getting to chat with a real-life modern-day hero. Brittany Ramirez is a pastor's wife, biological, and foster mama, and an advocate for those who found themselves in hard and even heartbreaking situations. Brittany and her family have opened their doors to 23 children and counting, but she's not looking for a badge of honor or a pat on the back or some fancy title. Instead, she's just paying attention to the real needs right in front of her and choosing to do something about it. Guys, whether you yourself are a foster parent or you're curious about potentially fostering, or maybe you wanna know how to better support and cheer on those fostering around you, or you'd just like to take a peek behind the foster care curtain, we can all learn so much from each other and especially from this important perspective. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Cindy and me as we chat with Brittany. Well, today we are coming to you from Cindy Beal's Messy Table. So, hey, Cindy. What's up? Thanks for coming to my Messy Table. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And today we also get the opportunity to hear from the lovely Brittany Ramirez. Hi, So, hey. Yeah. So, really excited, Jen, for you to hear from Brittany because we've got to know each other a little bit through Life Church as her husband's been on the team. And they actually started at Life Church up in Overland Park. Yep. With the Durans because they were friends with the Durans. Come on. Right? The Durans recruit everyone <laughs> oh, they know. The Durans are the best. OPK. Let's give a little shout out. That's what we say in life church culture. OPK. It's kind of fun. Anyway, so that's where she and Adrian started. And then she came to OKC. They came to OKC and we got to serve together. So, uh, Brittany, tell us a little bit about you, your family, and just all the things about you. Sure. Yeah. So, I am married to Adrian Ramirez, and he is basically the best person I know. So I'm uh, pretty blessed to be married to him. It will be 15 years in August. And so um, it's crazy how fast time really does fly. It is, right? People say that, but then you experience it. You're like, what? Yeah. How is this happening? Yeah. Because when you're little, like you want to be older and you think it's so far away and then you get married and then have children and then time is just gone. Yeah. Do you ever look around and go, 
I'm the parent in this situation. <laughs> I'm the grown up. I better start acting like a grown Derek up. Derek and I have been saying that lately at our kids' sporting events, at their right. games. We look around and we're like, we're the parent in this situation. Oh yeah. yeah. I was literally just thinking that the other day. I thought, man, my parents really had me fooled because I thought they were real life grown ups. But if this is being a real life grown up, like, right. there are all just, days. I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. We're big kids. <laughs> Yeah, who have bills? <laughs> Responsibility. Yeah, we must adult. Yeah, exactly. So, um, we have three daughters, and they are thirteen, twelve, and eleven, and they are just the light of our lives. Mm-hmm. And we are so thankful to be able to partner together with our kids as a foster family. Um, we currently have a little guy who we are fostering, and so we are. A family of six right now. That's so awesome. Yeah. Now you have fostered a lot. Yes. Yes. We How have. many kids have been under your roof? Um, over 20. We're at, we're sitting at 23. All right. Well, I want to dive into that a little bit more. So obviously you are no stranger to mess. Can you tell us a little bit about when things have been messy and challenging, but God has met you right there? Sure. So foster care is the best thing that we've ever done, but it's also the messiest thing that Mm -hmm. we have ever done. Um, There are a range of emotions that you feel when you are fostering and it gets so messy because you don't even you're you're feeling emotions that you didn't even know you previously had. And you're walking through things that you never imagined you'd be walking through. And so it's been extremely messy, but I will hone in and give you a story that would kind of talk about the messiness of it. Give it to us. Awesome. Okay. So, um, our gosh, I don't know what number child she was, but we got a phone call about a baby girl. And first of all, let me just tell you, we, when we started foster care, we said no babies, like do (laughs) not send us a baby because the girls were eight, nine and 10 at the time. And so we were like, we want a child who is in school, who, you know, has the same sort of schedule the girls have. Who's potty trained. (laughs) Let's be honest. Who is not a girl. We prefer to have a little guy running around our home. Mm -hmm. Um, And so these were the requests that we, we made when we started foster care. And I will tell you the very specific thing that we asked for, we have never had in our home. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just how it it works. And our first call was actually for a two day old baby girl. So completely opposite of what we had asked for. But about a year into our process, we got a phone call for a little girl who was medically fragile. She had been born at 20 four weeks. Wow. So she was teeny tiny, um, just over a pound when she was born and she was ready to come home from the hospital. She was about three months old at that time. And the first time I laid eyes on her, she was about three and a half pounds, like the smallest little baby I'd ever seen in my entire life. And my husband was like, we said, no babies. Like, what are you doing? You're (laughs) not only, not only is she a baby, like, but she has needs that we may not be capable of meeting. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, we're going to go meet this baby and you're going to fall in love with her. You're going to be the one who says we're going to bring her home. And so we went up to the hospital. So you were up for it. Oh yeah, for sure. From the very beginning. And I was working full time at the time, but we had the support, the family support who I knew that we could do it. We would be able to, to make it happen. And so, um, besides calling, 
Adrian, when I got the phone call, I immediately called my grandparents too, because they are the ones who, while I was working, they would keep our itty bitties. And so I wanted to make sure that it was something that they were up for as well. It's not just a decision that him and I could make for him and I and them and our girls and everybody involved. So I called them as well. And so uh, we did, we went and met her and she was just like instantly I was sitting there holding her and he said, we're taking her home. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I assume so. Um, and so I had to spend the week at the hospital learning all of her equipment and wow. oxygen and all the process. So you were fully submerged. Oh yeah. Immediately. So deep. It was so crazy. Um, you don't normally, they tell you when you sign up for foster care, babies are not the things that you're normally going to be bringing into mm-hmm. your home. However, somehow we became this baby family because of that first phone call. So just any babies that had any needs after that point, we started bringing them home. But she was our first medically fragile baby. So the day we brought her home, um, she was four pounds. And I only remember that because they, when you're a baby, I don't know, as moms, you know, car seats only go down to four pounds. And so right. the, the hospital was trying to issue something called a car bed. And I had never heard of a car bed before in my life. Wow. I haven't. Yeah. Mm-mm. And you can only get them from the hospital and you have to return them to the hospital. But she hit four pounds that day. And so um, we brought her home. And of course, like the girls and Adrian and I, we just she was it. Like she was always in somebody's arms, always My being snuggled. Baby doll. Yeah, she really was because she literally was the size of a baby doll. So, mm-hmm. um, but we had her for a good chunk of time and then eventually her brother came. Um, and it was very weird how all of that happened, but he was 18 months old. And so we had this four month old baby and then an 18 month old. And so talk about starting over. Like <laughs> we yeah. were in the thick of it. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, anyways, when it came time for them to transition home because mom was doing well, we, of course, through the process, were big advocates for forming that relationship with birth parents um, because we want to continue to be a support for them after their child is Mm -hmm. returned home because I know how hard it is to be a parent and to be a parent without the support of friends and family around you is so much more difficult. And so we always try to become that for the family if they need it. And so when it was time for them to transition home, um, the social worker came to pick the kids up and my grandparents were there and Adrian and my kids were all there. And I was doing fantastic holding it together. I mean, I had cried all the tears leading up to this, knowing that it was coming. And I remember just like, nobody else was holding her that day. Like I... I was holding her and I was being very selfish about it. Um, But I remember they got there and she walked in the door and I knew it was time to say goodbye. And so I um, turned around to my kids because I was facing the social worker and I turned around to my kids to have them tell the baby goodbye. And my youngest, who was nine at the time, literally broke. Like Mm -hmm. I have never in my Mm -hmm. life experienced. And from there, we all just kind of crumbled. Like, I mean, it was not just tears. It was, she was broken because she was having to say goodbye to the sweet baby. Sorry, I'm getting emotional, but, um, she was having to say goodbye to this little person that she knew. And and that you've poured into. Yeah. I mean, that baby needed surgery and we walked through surgery with her and we were doing seven doctor's appointments a week. And Man. so the bond that was there because mm-hmm. the, the baby needs 
that bond. And it's something that we are so terrified to give, but it's impossible not to, because that's our call. It was so strong that it literally broke our hearts. And I remember having a conversation with Adrian. We're going to take some time. Let's just take a breather. Let's let everybody heal before we do this again. And she left on a Friday and we got a phone call on a Monday (laughs) (laughs) for another little guy. And they said, listen, it's the same exact thing. He has the same exact issues. He was born at 26 weeks. He was teeny tiny. He will be facing all the same challenges that your last little person did. Are you up for it? And I remember going, nope, absolutely <laughs> not up for it. And thanks, I, thanks anyway. Yeah, God. <laughs> yeah goodbye. Um, and so from there, I called Adrian and I said, hey, we got a call. And Adrian had the same response. Nope. <laughs> and so I said, but listen, here's the deal. And so I told him and Adrian said, Brittany, that baby's need for a home far outweighs our need for more time. Mm. And so two days later, we picked him up. So we went right back into the trenches and into the mess of somebody else's world. It's somebody else's mess that we are stepping into. You're stepping into grief and brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. Satan has done -hmm. his job. Satan has destroyed that family Mm -hmm. for the time being. He has won that battle. And Adrian and I and the girls are putting on our armor and diving straight into that war. Mm -hmm. um, One thing I love about what you've already said is that you knew there would be heartache. Even the second time you knew that you were hurting and that there would be more heartache. But like you said, that need was greater. It's amazing. And I'm curious. I know you wanted time to heal after losing that little girl, but like, was there some kind of healing that happened with having him so quickly? Like, did your girls just reach out and grab onto him as well? Yeah, or absolutely. Or were they standoffish or what was it like? So, yeah, my two older daughters dove right back in as if it was nothing. And Adrian and I did the same thing. And I think that there was some healing in that, but I think there was also probably some things that we were avoiding healing through having this new Mm -hmm. distraction. Um, I remember though that my youngest, she, the, she's the one who kind of broke down when our first medically fragile baby left. I remember she, the baby was four months, had been in our home for four months and she had not held him. And I remember her picking him up off the couch one day and she just loved on him for Mm -hmm. a few moments. And then she put him down. And I remember thinking, you know, that's something that we had processed. It's not something that we ignored. It was something that we noticed and wanted to address with her. And so we did. It was a process of getting her back to where she felt like I can do this again. Because what we talk about all the time is when these children come into our home it's instant family. Like it's instant. Like you are ours. We will love you. We know that you may not be here very long. We know that you may be here a very long time. We're going to love you as if you belong here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the same respect, when they leave, like we love them as if they were ours and as if they belonged here Mm -hmm. and now they're gone. And so for the girls, it's an invisible loss of a sibling. Yeah. Right. You know, so if one of my siblings were to pass away, um, God forbid, but if they were, 
I would have a whole community wrap their arms around me and saying, we've got you, we're, we're going to carry you through this. When a foster child leaves, unless you're living in the foster care world, you know that that's how it's supposed to go. Like you're mm-hmm. fostering for a short time and then they're going to go home because mm-hmm. that's how it's supposed to happen. However, there's still like this loss and grief of part of your heart leaving and you don't know if you're going to have any more contact with that child. Right. So we've we've heard this story of this this little girl and then the next little boy who came and how it impacted your family i kind of want to go back a few steps mm-hmm. and i want to know what was it what happened on this whatever day where you were like we're supposed to foster right was it yeah. you was it adrian was one of you Has having to convince yeah. i'm curious what was it because usually there is something in a lot of people who foster i've, I've talked to so many people who are like this was our day we knew this is the step so what was that like? Take us to that that point. Sure. So when we got married, we always knew that eventually we would want to adopt. And so when we had our girls, they came very quickly in one right after the other. Um, I got married in 2004, had Layla in 2005, had Landon in 2006, and had Liviana in 2007. Ooh, so, girl. Wow. <laughs> huh. We created our family very quickly. Yeah, you did. <laughs> unintentionally but of course <laughs> so yeah god knows better right right <laughs> so this had always been a conversation since before we got married we knew that that was something that we wanted to do i don't remember how it came up or why it came up but when we had our third daughter we sat down and had a conversation and said listen <laughs> we are done making babies <laughs> we, we may not be done being parents to additional children but we're done like this is it the mm-hmm. factories are closing the factories is what you're saying. are closing yeah. <laughs> yep yeah. done and so um, but we knew we wanted to wait because we knew we wanted an older child so we wanted to wait until our girls were old enough to fully understand what we were doing and that they were able to protect themselves emotionally physically from anything that might come into our home because you remember like we were going to take a little boy who was school age (laughs) not babies Mm -hmm. so so we waited until our we felt like our kids were old enough and and immature enough to process that and that's not something everybody has to do Mm -hmm. a lot of people will start foster care when their kids are very young Mm -hmm. or when their kids are grown and that was just what we chose to do as a couple so You have had 23 kids Mm -hmm. under your roof. Mm -hmm. What has been the shortest stay that you've had and what's been the longest stay that you've had? So our shortest was probably three nights and it was one of our very first placements. Okay. It was about three nights. Um, Our longest is our current placement. Okay. Yeah. And it's been over a year. All right. Yeah. So we have the wide variety and they've been from three pound little babies to 14 year old girls Mm -hmm. so we've had like this huge range of experiences because every kid comes in with very different experience of trauma Uh so i love how you hold this in such balance this tender spot of i want to dive in with my whole heart but then i also want to have open arms and open hands to whatever god wants to do or if we need to take them in or if we need to let them go how do you stay in that sensitive tension oh my gosh it's like an impossible tightrope for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we just really make sure that our hearts are in line with the Lord and with each other at mm-hmm. all times. So Adrian is, he will lead with no when we get a phone call 
about foster care and I will lead with yes. And it's not <laughs> like he's saying no, absolutely not, never. And it's not like I'm saying yes, whatever they call us with, we're going to take. But it puts us in this place of balance where we're able, we have to, because he's coming from that angle and I'm coming from my angle, because honestly, our house would be filled with like every child mm-hmm. in the whole state if, <laughs> if it was up to me, I'm sure. We really have to sit down and weigh the pros and cons of where we are as a family, where we are as a couple, what we have going on in our jobs and in our careers and make sure that it's going to be something that we can take and it's not going to be too much for any member of our family. I like what you said earlier when you were talking about your your daughters. You said that they partner with you. I did too. I thought that was pretty beautiful. Pretty beautiful and amazing because you're right. It's a family affair. It's not Mm. just husband and wife. So how has it affected them? I mean, I know they, they love this little girl that you guys had to return to her family, but like, does it affect them in ways that they ever get frustrated with you guys? Mom and dad quit saying yes to all the babies or are they all in just like you? Yeah. So that's so funny because, um, I've posted about the girls before on our social media and how when it came down to us choosing this, you do have all the questions. How is this going to affect our children? Mm-hmm. What it, what are we doing here? One of the things I remember writing was, um, is our call stealing their choice in the matter or do they still have a choice? And what I tell everybody is God called us to this and he loves my kids more than I love my kids. Although like, that's really hard to believe. Like how, how could somebody love your kids more than you? But of course God loves all of us more than anybody Mm -hmm. else. And, and so of course he already had those details worked out. He already knew the feelings that they would have. And I think what what happens is Adrian and I have to just really be attuned to the girls, what they're saying to us verbally and what they're saying to us, body language or behavior or whatever that may look like. And um, so we just have to be really aware of where they are. We do try to involve them in many decisions with foster care because it does fully affect them. And mm-hmm. um, we love that we're able to partner with them in this and what better way to be the hands and feet of Jesus in such a tangible way than mm-hmm. in our own home, in the trenches with our children. Mm-hmm. We know that this is something that they're not adults. They didn't get to choose this process, but we do process with them all the emotions we process when kids are getting ready to leave. Um, We often will process if we have time to process when kids are coming in. But even if we don't have time to say, hey, we got a phone call today, here's the situation. We make sure that we are at a place, like these are conversations that we're currently even having now going where we're kind of feeling the pulse of the family and the temperature to see if we're at a place where if we did get a call tomorrow, do I say yes? Is it something I can say yes to right now? Or is it something that we need to maybe hold off because of where our kids are. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you spoke to that heartbreak, and that is so difficult. But do you feel like, in a way, that is so good for them? Oh, as yeah. far as, I mean, it kind of cracks open your heart to compassion. And yes. there is a real need out here that yeah. we get to help meet. Yes, for sure. Does that lead into their just how they see things? Yes, absolutely. I think what it leads to is cool conversations that I'm able to have. Your heart is so broken right now. But how cool is it that your heart's being broken for the same thing that's breaking our Lord's heart right now? Mm. And so for them to be able to relate that back to their faith, even if it's something that we don't have like long drawn out sermons where we sit down and talk with them about this, but just those little moments that we're able to say, 
I know how bad this hurts right now, but it is hurting the Lord's heart too. It's right. you're not in this alone. It's right. breaking mommy and daddy's heart. It's breaking your heart. It's breaking nanny and papa's heart. And it's breaking Jesus's heart. Mm-hmm. And how cool was it that we got to step in and be what that baby needed in those moments? You met those needs. Mm. And to think that those girls, they've known for as long as I can remember that they are literally God's vessels. Mm. God is literally using them at age nine, at age 11. What a gift for them mm-hmm. to go into their adult years to have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a gift. And in a culture that's obsessed with comfort and, you know, we're kind of me-centered. I mean, that's just ingrained in them so early. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome. It's super cool. So one of my best friends, Lindsay, I was talking to her on the way here, actually, but they've been ingrained in the foster care system for quite a while and have had quite a few under their roof. And I feel like they've kind of experienced, and it sounds like that you have as well, multiple situations. So a baby that wasn't there long and went home, a child that they had for over or about a year that went back to their family, but it wasn't necessarily an ideal Mm -hmm. situation, which I know is kind of tough. And that's something we can talk about. A child that they had for long over a year who wasn't able to be restored to their family and they actually adopted. And then just recently they had a sibling group that they ended up being able to see restored to their dad and even have a hand in kind of help financially and help get him back on his feet and really see that beautiful connection and him just working so hard to get them back. That's awesome. And so have you just seen an array of different situations? Yeah, the scenarios are different for every child. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, absolutely. My favorite is the redemptive story, though, when they're mm-hmm. able to return home. Um, you know, we bring brokenness into our home and we can't help but be broken by that. And so to be able to watch this brokenness and watch these parents fight for their children to be returned home is the coolest thing. Mm. And so that's why the relationship in Oklahoma, they call it bridging. In Kansas, I don't think we really had a name for it, but it's building that relationship with the biological family because they can do it. But I think sometimes it seems like there's so much to do. Like Mm. they get an entire list of things that they have to do. Yes. And so I think often they get discouraged. And so to be able to like, if you knew Adrian and I, you would instantly go, yep, that's definitely, I can see them doing that. But when we meet biological parents, we're not over the top friendly. Our first meeting, we definitely are. But we also will speak truth every single time and Mm -hmm. we will not candy coat what needs to happen. So if they are not doing what they need to do, then we will say, Hey, what are you doing? Like this baby is worth it. You need to, you know, Mm -hmm. move forward, whatever you need to do. I don't know if you need somebody to talk to. I'm here. If you need somebody to help you get to appointments, reach out Um, and just partnering with them. I think what that does is let them know, Hey, they really do care about my success, but they also really care about our kids. Right. So you're not saying you're not friendly. You're saying that you don't just brush the hard things under the rug. Absolutely. You bring them up and say, Hey, yeah, like you're intentional, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm always friendly. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) So obviously all of these stories and you have so many from all the children you, you and Adrian have had. So what are some of the good things? What are some of the hard things? Tell us just some examples of what you've walked through as a family. 
Sure. So we have, I think my most favorite um, things, one of my most favorite things is still being able to connect with some of those kiddos that have been in our home. So we have a couple who really impacted our worlds in a big way. And those would be like the ones who were the most needy, who we really saw a great growth and healing through and still being able to be connected with them is fantastic. I get pictures from biological moms all the time, which is super meaningful because like I said earlier, when they leave, you don't know if you're going Mm -hmm. to hear from them again. Maybe that biological mom decided, you know, I got my kids back. I am done. I don't ever have to contact her again. And that could happen. And then you have ones who like after our sweet little thing is that was her name on all of our social media, our sweet little thing. After she and her brother left, her mom reached out first and just said, Hey, I was talking to my older son and we were thinking about coming to visit your church. Mm. So just knowing that the impact is lasting is the coolest thing. I have another, that second little medically fragile baby who came and went home successfully. So successfully, I was just texting his mom last night and she's still, if we're together, she'll introduce me as his other mother. Oh, that's wow. And so the connections that we're building, like we are building like this amazing, cool, unique spider web of family. Mm-hmm. And because all family doesn't look the same. Sure. Right. And we're okay with that. Mm-hmm. We're okay with getting in your mess and then watching you be so successful. So being able to know where our, many of our kids are currently I love that. has been so great. That's great. So some of the, one of the not so great things that we experienced was I broke our own rule of staying within our birth order of our kids. We said we would not bring anybody older into our home unless it was for like a short weekend mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I hear that a lot from families. They want to make sure that, that the foster children are younger than their biological ones. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, I mean, there's no rule, but if you believe like you said, your own rule. Yeah. Yeah. It's our rule. So it, you broke it. Right. I did. I broke it and it was not good. It was a terrible choice. It was a little guy and he was just a little bit older than my youngest. And he went to school where she went to school. Like he was a long-term placement. We had him for quite some time and it was not the best experience for him or for us. And of course, um, we try to be as selfless as we can in all of these situations, but he chose to get physical with our daughters and with myself. And so that as was far as hitting yes, and abuse yes. or sexual, no, not sexual hitting okay. and abuse. Um, and so that's kind of where we had to really evaluate what the situation looked like. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever, I can tell you right now, any foster parent, any adoptive parent who has ever brought a child into their home, they never, ever, ever want to call and say, I can't do this. I need this child to be moved. Um, And we had to make that phone call because Mm. it was not healthy for our children. It was not healthy for me. And it was not healthy for him. Mm -hmm. He had so much trauma in his life. He needed somebody who could address that in a different way than a family with three daughters Mm -hmm. could address it. And so that was probably one of our more weighty. Mm -hmm. Did you take it to heart? Like, I failed. For sure. And how did you process through that? For sure we did. At first, we we took him because we didn't want them to just come and pick him up and, and him be gone. We wanted to be able to process it with him. 
We wanted him to know that we did love him and we did care for him. Um, And so we took him and we bought him a new pair of cowboy boots. He came Mm -hmm. with cowboy boots and they had a hole in the bottom. And so Adrian and I just took him by himself for the day and we took him to lunch and we took him and bought new cowboy boots and And we told him that he was going to be leaving our home. And so I think that was a huge piece of that healing process because we were able to process that with the child instead of just saying, hey, your social worker is coming. She's coming right now. So you need to go pack up your trash bag, which is what they normally come and leave with. Um, Of course, we always would send children away with a new suitcase and the clothes that they got while they were in our home. Um, But there are times like that where mm. foster parents do call and they say, Hey, I can't do this. You better pick this kid up by three right. o'clock at the school because you tried to leave it as well as you could. Yes. And we needed that for us. Like we knew how devastated we both were and we both felt like we mm-hmm. just dropped the ball completely. What did that conversation look like with him? Were you explaining here are some things that have been difficult, like the abuse and different things? Yeah, we did. We processed and he, we actually asked him, you know, what his experience was like in our home. What did you think about the time that our family um, was all together? And we wanted him to be the one to identify some of those negative things. Mm. We didn't want to say, okay, hey, yeah. you're leaving because you hit my kid and because you hit my husband and because you <laughs> right. hit me. Like we didn't want to identify those. We wanted to give him the opportunity to mm-hmm. reflect. And he did. And so there were lots of tears. He was very sad. Um, about leaving our home, which did not help us in the moment of going because he did love us and we did love mm-hmm. him. He was just acting out of hurt. Yeah. Hurt he people. Was. Hurt people. Yeah, right? they do. yeah. And the trauma, I mean, it stays with you until you can effectively confront that trauma. It And it's rough. Like, cause as a kid, you don't know how to process your trauma. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're just living your life. You don't know any different compared to a healthy home in a non-healthy home because you've only experienced the non-healthy home and that's just normal to you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are adults who can't process the yes. trauma and then we expect these children to. And so it's, yeah, a, it's a tough, tough road. Mm-hmm. It is. It really is. So entering into foster care is being willing really to take the hard road mm-hmm. and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, even whenever things aren't necessarily packaged with a pretty bow. Yeah. yeah. How has that changed you? It has made the largest impact in my life. Just being able to put ourselves in a position where we can meet needs of our community and knowing how difficult it might be. You know, when you go through the foster care classes, you can hear all the things, you can read all the books, you can listen to all the podcasts, you can think that your classes are amazing, but until you're in the depths of what foster care really is, it's impossible to really understand. So I would say that I am completely different than than I was three and a half years ago before we started. And it's as a family, you know, individually, Mm -hmm. it's changed my heart and opened my eyes to different needs that I may see inside my home or outside my home. And that's something that we wanted to give the girls too. 
We have three family mottos. One of them is super silly and doesn't mm-hmm. apply anymore because the girls are older. It was never match, always coordinate. So oh, <laughs> I never wanted like everybody to be in matching shirts, but I wanted you to look like you belong together. Mm-hmm. So they used to come in on Sunday mornings and be like, what color are we wearing today? And I would tell them. So they knew that any color that coordinated with blue or whatever that they could wear. But one of Cute. them is see a need and fill it. And that has been something that since the girls were little, we are always trying to get them to have an open eye and an open heart and open ears to things that are happening in the world around them. Whether that's a kid dropping their books in the hallway and you stop to help them pick it up, even though that kid could pick them up themselves, you're still saying, hey, I see you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so that's something we always wanted the girls to do. And foster care is I would argue one of the ultimate ways to do that because the need is so great. So what are some frequently asked questions that you get since you have fostered quite a bit? I'm sure you hear a lot. Yeah. So a lot of people have questions. So many questions. Um, I think the most common question we get is about the case often. Like if we bring a new child home, they'll be like, well, what's his story? What's her story? And those are things that we can't necessarily share because of confidentiality of the child to protect them and their family. Um, So we get those questions a lot. Another one I hear a lot is, oh my gosh, you're a saint. I could never do that (laughs) because I would get too attached. Yeah. And that question used to like just roll off my back. And then I started to get kind of like, what? Like, is your heart bigger than my heart? (laughs) Because Because I'm attached. I'm attached. (laughs) I'm so attached. And so I think it's not that you're not attached. Right. It's not that 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 you're, I mean, you are amazing, but it's not that you're a saint. It's that you're a regular person who loves Jesus. Yeah. And I saw the need and I'm feeling it. But my response to that is, is now don't let your fear of attachment keep you from doing it. Let your fear of these kids never knowing an attachment Mm. drive you to do it. Mm. You know, being scared to attach is a selfish thing that's inside of us. It's inside of me. It's inside of Adrian. It's inside of the girls. And you see it like you see it by my daughter not holding the next baby until the baby had been in the home for four months because we're scared to get attached, knowing that it's going to be ripped away from us again. But we're driven by this baby needs this right now. This Mm -hmm. baby needs to know how loved they are, whether they're with us for six hours or whether they're with us for six years. Like we are in this child's life for a reason for this purpose right now. And that's Mm -hmm. to be attached to them. Mm. Yeah. Now I'm not quite sure how to ask this question because it's a little bit more sensitive, but I guess coming back to what's the goal, right? Right. And maybe you could answer that. Like, what is the goal of foster care? But if someone is looking to, maybe they cannot have children Mm -hmm. and they are looking to grow their family through foster and adoption, What is your perspective on that? Yeah, so that's a great question and also one that we get asked a lot. When we started, that's kind of where our hearts were too. And it wasn't because we weren't able to have children. It's because we knew that we were called to adopt at Mm -hmm. some point. And we thought, well, let's do it through foster care. Let's foster to adopt. I cannot stand that phrase at, at any level in my being anymore because foster care and adoption are two very different things. Um, we now foster to foster. Mm, the good. goal is always reintegration. Reconciliation. Yes. For sure, yeah. Until that can't happen any longer, that has to be the mindset. Yes. And it's a hard place to be. 
it is very hard for a year and you love them. I'm sure that's so difficult. It is because they become your baby, but they're they're not not your baby. Mm -hmm. Right. They're somebody else's baby. But you share this bond with this child. Of course. And so it does. If if you go into it with Mm -hmm. I'm fostering to adopt and I'm going to take this baby in with the hopes of adopting. One, you are setting yourself up for a very long road, a very emotional road that is not mm-hmm. not going to be fun for you. And two, you're also like in your mind, you're setting up that other parent to fail. You're and hoping you're for missing their the failure. whole point of fostering. Yes. It is reconciliation. Yes. If it's possible. Yep. And sometimes it's unfortunately not possible. And then like our friends who, you know, they weren't necessarily planning on adopting him, but after having him a year and a half and rights were terminated and that was presented to them. And of course they, I mean, they loved him like their own. They had brought him home from the hospital. Absolutely. But some other people that we know, they had him for a year and thought they were going to adopt and they could not have their own children. And then he was, he did go back to his biological parents and, you know, so the mama bear clause came out of mm-hmm. her, which understandably, I can only imagine how difficult that is. So you want to go into it with the right heart and perspective, or maybe just pursue adoption right? through yeah. other avenues. Yep. And you can adopt, like you can sign up with DHS to be an adoption only family. Okay. But you're not going to bring home a bouncing baby from the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's tons of older kids available right now. Tons. Right? Yep. And if they do go into foster care as a baby, they're going to go to a foster home with hopes of getting them reintegrated into home. And then if the chance happens, that they're, you know, that's not available, then that's when adoption comes into play. But you're going to play like this mind game all the way through. And our intention is foster to foster. However, you still do get that attachment of, mm-hmm. well, what if this doesn't work out? Yes, we would adopt him. And then that can just take you down this rabbit trail of going, wait, wait, I need to back this thing up. Like our goal is to get home to mom and dad if we can get home to mom and dad. But it puts you in a weird place because even down to clothes, like at the end of every season, I will go and I will shop for future seasons for my girls when the things are on clearance or whatever. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing foster care with a little person in your home, you're like, I can't, I can't do that because what if they're not here in the fall? or whatever that may look like. Um, Do I get newborn pictures taken? And yes is the answer. You always get newborn pictures taken. If they come home from the hospital, whether they stay with you or not, somebody needs those newborn pictures for sure. That's great. I love that. Um, But there's just lots of little things that you're like, well, if he's staying with me, then I would do this. If he's not going to stay with me, then maybe I wouldn't do Mm -hmm. that. And so it's kind of like this balance you kind of have to figure out as you're going. Yes. Um, But we always, we always lean to, if he was staying, we would want this. So if he's going home, his parents will surely want it as well. that's, That's really cool. Yeah. So how do you reconcile in your mind when a child is going back and maybe it's not an ideal situation, but it is their kid and you have loved them the best that you could. How do you kind of work that out in your mind? Yeah. I think there's a couple of things. One, our standards will never be the standards of the state. So we have to walk into it knowing, although our world looks like this, not everybody's world looks like this, but their world is equipped to take their child back. Mm -hmm. So you first have to wrap your mind around that. And then um, it is really trusting the Lord. Right. Just like anything in life, right? Yeah. Just like anything. And I think like God is so faithful that when the kids return home, we have often seen 
months later that that was exactly what should have happened, exactly when it happened. And it just reminds us, it's him going, I told you, I love them more than you love them. Trust them to me and Mm -hmm. it will all work out just the way it's supposed to. And so every single time, you know, when we moved from Kansas to OKC for Life Church, I had to leave a foster son in Kansas. So I left him before his case was done. Mm. And he was that second medically fragile baby who had come home. And I was like, this is not right. I am not okay with this. The Lord called us to him. How in the world is the Lord calling us to life church? Like what the heck is happening right now? And I am talking days like two days before we left, we finally knew where he was going to land. Because up to that point, they were like, we don't know what's going to happen with him. We don't know what home he's going to. We don't know what's happening. And so this whole time, this is like weeks of me going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, where's he going? What's going to happen next? Like, I know the Lord has called us to Life Church, but I also know that he was in our home for a reason and for a purpose. And I feel like I'm dipping out before I should. And two days before we left, we found out he was going to live with his great-grandmother. And quickly, like weeks later, was back home with mom. And yeah, and that's the mom who I still, I mean, we were literally texting yesterday about meeting in Wichita, which is halfway. But um, so just, he always is proving that, hey, I have got this. I've really got this. I just need you to quit borrowing trouble from tomorrow. I got this. I created the world in six days. (laughs) Give give me a break. Uh, I don't think God says, give me a break, but still. Yeah. You know. In my head, he does. Say Maybe that. he does. Maybe he does. <laughs> yeah. So, Only God can do the work right, of God. But right. sometimes we want to take that on ourselves. Right. I just want to help you, God. I just yeah. I see some things that could be done on earth <laughs> here. Help. And I really know I'm a helper. <sighs> but, so what about the future? I know that it's it's kind of silly for us to even really plan out everything. Right. But do you and Adrian see yourself doing this for five more years, 10 more years until the day you die? You're 80 or, oh you gosh, know? no, I oh, would like okay. to travel eventually before okay. I'm 80. I'd like to travel. Okay. Um, no, we do. This is the hot topic in our home currently. And um, this is something we know that we've been called to. And we talk about even when the girls are in high school or out of our home, being able to take older foster children because my husband is a rock star and he has a crazy story. Like you would never like when I have conversations with him, I'm like, did you learn that from a movie about drugs? <laughs> or, or did or you live this, this out? Real or is this real right life now? And I will tell you, it's real life. And so he has all this life experience that like would be amazing to be able to pour in to kids who are experiencing similar things. Um, so that is something that we talk about. So yeah. I don't know. So what, the calling's there. It yeah. just will shift and look different. Yeah. And the, I don't know what it'll look like. Sure. You know, yeah. maybe mm-hmm. we need to take a break in a couple of years and, and we could do that and then restart again or maybe we find ourselves adopting like seven more children and then going, no, we can't do this anymore. (laughs) Listen, that was a joke, Adrian. I was Uh, just kidding. (laughs) Hey, you never know. So I want to speak to those who are really on the fence. Like they feel called to foster, but they're like, ah, I don't know. I'm nervous. What are some next steps? And then also for those, because basically we're one of two people, right? Um, You either feel called to foster or you get to support those who foster. Right. And so I would love to hear your perspective on both of those. Sure. So first of all, if it's something that you're even remotely considering doing, 
I would sign up for the classes. Uh, all the classes look kind of different. So is it through the state? It is through the state, but you can also do it through agencies. Okay. So um, in Oklahoma specifically, you can be a foster parent directly through DHS, or you can be a foster parent through an agency. We went through an agency. It added a little bit of a buffer um, between the state and ourselves. And so we, we liked that. However, there are classes and ours were 10 weeks three hours every Monday night for 10 weeks. That looks a little bit different in Oklahoma. They require a little bit less. However, the classes will stay with you forever. So I think if it's something that you're even interested in doing, the foster care classes are free. I think signing up and starting the process and starting to just take some steps to see if that's the direction you should go. One of the things Adrian and I do is we walk through every door until God literally slams it in our face. I like that. And so instead of going, well, which way should I go? Like we just kind of run both paths until God shuts one of the doors. And every single time my husband always says it's easier for God to direct a, a moving vessel. Yes. And someone's mm. just yeah. still. Yeah. So, so true. That's so good. It's good. You're just kind of like, okay, we know the good end. Job, Chris Bill. Good I like job. That. <laughs> yeah. I love him. He's, he's my favorite. He's kind um, of cool guy. That's good. <laughs> but like, I love that, you know, your answer is yes. Until God is clearly like, okay, no, not this time. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Exactly. I love that, that you should always be moving. Because if you're just standing going, well, which way should I go? You're not going to make any movement. And you're going to be standing in that, which way should I go forever? And Mm -hmm. so your advice to someone who's considering it is start the classes. I mean, God will show you one way or another. Start the classes. Have the conversation. Yes. You know, pray. What do you have to lose? Begin to pray if you aren't already. So much prayer. So much. Practice your prayer before the kids come into your home. (laughs) Because you're going to need that prayer life for sure. Okay. And then those who um, would like to support foster. Yeah. So those not, who are fostering, what are some things that you can do? Yeah. So not everybody is called to foster and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think, well, it's in the Bible. We're supposed to take care of the orphans. Yes. We all are called to take care of the orphans, mm-hmm. but we're not all called to open our homes. Played so there's out in different ways. Yeah. There's lots of things that, that can be done. There are, um, it's something called a CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocate. It's a volunteer position where you advocate for the foster child in the court system. And so those reports are really heavily outside of the foster parent. That's outside of the foster parents. So okay. it's an additional advocate for that foster kiddo. And those reports, the judge reads them. Everybody involved reads them. And they carry a lot of weight because CASA's job is to figure out what's best for that child. They don't care what's in best interest of mom and dad. They don't care what's in best interest of foster parents. They're solely focused on that child. So that's one way if you have some time to do that. Another way that I always promote is if you know a foster par- parent, family, whatever that may look like, and they're bringing home a foster child, take them dinner. Mm -hmm. It's as easy as that. Order them pizza and say, hey, they're going to tell you no every single time because they're helpers. And so they don't like to ask for help. Right. So don't give an option. So say I'm bringing dinner over. I'll be what there at six. What time is best for or, me to or show up? Or what night yeah. is good because yeah. I'm, I'm making you a casserole yeah, or exactly. ordering you pizza. Like and you they're going to say, no, that's okay. I've got it. And you're going to say, no, I'm ordering it. It's either going to show there on its own or you're going to tell me <laughs> which night's more convenient. That's great. Like checking in with them, making sure that if it's an older kid that they came with a toothbrush and a pair of pajamas and a fresh pillow, or can I make a Walmart run for mm-hmm. you? What kind of formula is the baby on? Just checking Or an in. Amazon order, diapers. Yes. Whatever. Yes. If diaper, diapers just 
randomly would show up on my doorstep. My life group brought over a basket that had like clothes and whatever in it. it it's just so meaningful that we don't like to ask for help. We will never mm-hmm. ask for help. No foster parent will usually ask for help. So you just have to make some initiative to wrap your arms around, offer childcare, figure out. Yes. That's one thing that one of my friends said was, you know, you have so many appointments that if someone even volunteered to keep your other kids while they went to that appointment, that that's huge if you're local. And don't forget about your biological kids. So maybe that is a friend saying, Hey, I'm going to come pick the girls up. I know that you're getting a placement tonight. I'm going to take them to dinner and to ice cream while you get settled with that foster child. And then we'll bring them home. You know, just making sure somebody's checking in on them too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even if they have the means to meet the financial responsibility, even just the support and the encouragement and the prayer, I mean, it's huge, Huge. irreplaceable. I mean, I think sometimes we can undervalue that. Or if someone's listening right now and feels guilty, like, well, I'm not doing any of that. I mean, you can pray. You can sit on the toilet and pray. Yeah. So there's time for for that at any point. That was a nice visual, Jen. Sorry. That's a good visual. Please pray. Always pray. Okay. You can drive and pray. Yeah. Sorry. So Brittany, you have basically outlined this amazing life that you live. I mean, I'm just hearing it. I'm just, I was in awe of you before. I thought you were great. I'm even more in awe of you and Adrian and the sacrifices you've made and how, you know, you don't see it that way. You're just saying yes to God. So as we finish up, you are in a life of pouring out. You're constantly pouring out. Adrian's pouring out. What do you do to fill yourself back up? What books do you read? What podcasts do you listen to? What do you do to make sure that you have enough to pour out? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that we have to be very aware of at all times. So I do have a couple of great resources. Um, first of all, Adrian and I have a foster care podcast. Yeah, it's for those who are in the throes of foster care who just need that reminder that, hey, you're not in this alone. Those who are getting ready to become foster parents, social workers, anybody who would want some insight from actual foster parents. What's it called? Um, It's called Becoming Fosters. Okay, and you started it in what? Oh, gosh, a couple months ago. That's so great. I love that you're doing that. Thank you. I'm pretty excited about it. And it is very um, conversational so we are doing interviews with other foster parents who bring so much insight and it's so edifying to sit at a table with other foster parents. We call them fosters because, well, becoming fosters. Yeah. Um, so that is something that's super important. But it's just something you can throw on in your car, listen on your way to work, listen on the way home. I love doing it. I mean, it. we like podcasts yeah, here. Just so. a little bit. And I also hate doing it because uh, I am my biggest critic for sure. So we some, all of are. The, <laughs> some of the other things... For foster parents, if you have not done a TBRI training, which is trust-based relational intervention, definitely should be at the top of the list. There's a book called The Connected Child by Karen Purvis, and it is a way to understand the trauma that's coming into your home and address it in an effective way for the child. I think that every foster parent, I think it should be mandatory for every foster parent before they become a foster parent, but It's not. And then the other book that I um, really enjoyed reading was called Everyone Can Do Something. Mm. And it's by Jason Johnson. It goes back to not everybody's called the foster, but everybody is called to do something. So those are a couple ways. And then, of course, um, anything that comes from Pastor Craig, like we lean into for sure. Mm -hmm. His leadership podcast is great. All of his foster care work 
messages, like they Mm -hmm. are something that we will always tie ourselves back to, to be reminded, you know, of things. Um, And so there are only a couple of really great podcasts that are foster care based. And so finding one that you, because we're busy people. So just finding something you can listen to and grab on the road is always something we lean in on. That's so good. We've brought so much. Could you leave us with one final word of encouragement, whatever you want to share? Sure. So something that I think is always important to remember is that foster care is not always easy. It's always messy and it's always heartbreaking and joyful and all the emotions all at the same time, but it is always 100% of the time worth it. Mm, Yes. Thank you, girl. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate you coming on. This was so fun. Guys, we can't do everything, but we all can do something. I want to challenge us, myself included, to genuinely ask God what small or big step of obedience we can each take to love and support those around us. We have all kinds of resources linked up in the conversation notes, including Brittany's podcast, Becoming Fosters. I want to remind you that you can subscribe to The Messy Table for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. You can also find us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. Tag some friends who might want to join us and sign up for my email list at jenjewel.com and you will be the first to know when we kick back off in August. Well, friends, have an awesome summer. We hope you'll remember you are known by God. You are loved by God. And yes, it is no surprise that life is messy, but rest assured God is at work in your mess.